Hello, welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, joined by the regular rugby crew that is Sam and Westy. And we are here after week two of the Six Nations. Um, we have some Six Nations, as I said, under 20s. Uh, and of course, our Fanzo competition and the return of the URC um, to get stuck into. But before all that, let us, as always, check in with the boys. Westy, how are you on this glorious Sunday evening? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, I've had a nice kind of quiet weekend um, at the house to myself. So um, it's been nonstop wild parties, as you guys both know. Um, well, I obviously was invited, so uh, that's nice. Well, you, you know, were invited. You Ooh, that's awkward. You don't really know how to get wild anymore, Steve. You know, um, I don't know that is actually very accurate. I can rock and roll all night, part of every day. Part of every. Yeah, I like to. I like to do part. I got stuff to do in the morning usually. Um, no, yeah, that's quiet weekend uh, watching the rugby. Uh, out swimming, went to the gym. You know, just kind of taking care of myself this weekend. Oh, some some yeah. self love. Exactly, yeah. So much because I'm alone. Because the missus is away, so it's just constant, constant self love. <laughs> Chron- chronic, some would yeah. say. Uh, <laughs> very good. Glad to hear you had a relaxing weekend. Uh, Sam, how are you? You're uh, rocking the Philadelphia Eagles gear. It's a big night for you. It's a huge, huge Sunday night now. The uh, most tired Monday morning of all time tomorrow. Uh, I don't usually actually stay up for the Super Bowl because of work on a Monday morning. I'd watch it. I usually go like uh, media blackout and then watch it the next day after work. But this year with the Eagles in it, the last time I stayed up for it was the Eagles when they beat uh, the Patriots. So I have to have to stay up for it. I can't, can't help myself, but... You know, tomorrow now we'll just get through the day and we'll see how we are. So, yeah, big, big, big Eagles win today to, pa- to follow up the uh, Ireland win at the weekend. Be happy days in my house. Co- coffee's your friend tomorrow morning, Sam. Coffee is your friend. Oh, I just put on a drip. Just, just. Yeah, <laughs> just eat the granules. I wouldn't even bother <laughs> with the water. You want coffee beans. Straight to the source. <laughs> Gotta get one of them spit uh, things, you know. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Uh, it always looks cool. I don't know how good it is for you, but it looks cool. Uh, I had a good weekend. I was in Connemara for the weekend. Uh, my mate uh, turned forty, um, and I was watched. Uh, that's why I was pretty quiet on the socials. I was in a pub in Connemara watching the game. A few pints of Guinness. It was uh, it was great, great to watch the game, and you know, in a social setting. I don't normally love watching big games uh, in social settings. I like to kind of be alone sometimes, or at least one or two people. Uh, but that was good. It was good, good, good night. Um, a couple of sore heads on Sunday morning or this morning, should I say, for a couple of lads. I wasn't too bad, but uh, yeah, I'm back. Yeah, I'm gonna. Tr- I'll probably watch a quarter, maybe a quarter and a bit. It depends on when I fall asleep. If I'll be honest with Sam, I yes. want to watch it, but it's just so goddamn late. You're not staying up for Riri, you know? Ah, no, I am a rude boy, so maybe, maybe, who knows? What tunes do you reckon she's going for? I think she's going to start off with Umbrella, going to get it going. Apparently, rumor has it she might start with uh, "Run This Town" or Leinster fans would love this one. All of the lights. Oh, which I am a I am a big fan of personally. Do you think she might bring out like maybe an Eminem guest star or something? Do a bit of local guy. He did. He was last year though. I don't know what they bring out a guest star that was on last year though. I does. Uh, you know, could be Christy Moore. Um, you know, he's he's him and Rihanna are very close friends, so maybe maybe he'll rock up. Didn't you know? she film one of her videos in like a field in Dundalk or something ridiculous? No, it was up up the north. Uh, yeah, she was topless in a field, and a farmer came out and gave out, and then all of the men in Ireland were like, "What are you doing?" And did someone see her in a chipper afterwards, or is this just one of those like stories that gain legs? Uh, I think one of the one of the scenes in the music video was in a chipper. I think that's probably it. But uh, yeah, if, if, here's here's a good rule: if you wake up and you see Rihanna Topless in your field, you say nothing, right, and you enjoy it, uh, and you you struck gold, so enjoy it. But uh, enough about Rihanna being topless, and let's move on to uh, Six Nations. Um, yeah, look at with Sour Ireland. It's two wins from two. Uh, thirty-two points to uh off what nineteen off the top of my head is nineteen. So a thirteen-point win for Ireland over France, keeping them from a losing bonus point and attaining one themselves. And things just keep getting better and better for Ireland. Again, you know, no furlong. Finley Beatham stands up, uh, incredible. Uh, Johnny Sexton comes off before the sixty-minute mark. Craig Casey gets twenty, nearly twenty minutes. Uh, Ross Byrne comes in, and this, you know, the machine just keeps chugging on. Sam, like <laughs> Irish fans, they're almost don't know what to do with themselves because this is it's it's an un, it's an almost uneasy sense of certainty, which is a weird thing to say. 
Well, I'm I'm really self-conscious about using the word phenomenal now after I was called out viciously last week for saying it too often. I get stuck on words so badly. Uh, but it was it was it was a crack in display. Uh, they were they were all excellent. They were brilliant. They were they, really, really good. <laughs> no, they, uh, everyone to a man stuff. Uh, I was impressed with all of them. I was, you know, being a Connick fan, extra impressed with uh, Finley. I just every time kind of a new challenge is put to him, he stands up and he's been years of people underappreciating how good he is. And I've just chucked for him. Uh, the move with Keenan, I think that people have been harping back saying that Lancer did it against Claremont years ago and I've seen the clips and it's, you know, similar, but I've seen it broken down and you can see uh, Murray as he's running past him saying it's on, it's on, it's on. So it's the whole team trusting in each other, you know, trusting in the process, something that a couple of years ago when Farrell first started, we were like, where is this going? We can't see kind of where where the team is, direction is going. It, it's all come to fruition and players like uh, Doris, who are only 24, somehow, you know, just going from strength to strength. Uh, James Ryan being a leader, being the, the player that he needs to be in that pack, the front row stepping up whenever there's their players coming on, being injured uh, when there's injuries like Ross Byrne coming on, seeing it out. Just the confidence just is, it's unbelievable across the board for them. And they're, they're growing in confidence with every game, with every scalp that they take. So it's, yeah, we as, we as Ireland fans, it's the type of thing now that don't let the potential losing a quarterfinal to France or New Zealand ruin this because this is a phenomenal phenomenal there it is <laughs> this is a sensational Ireland team that you know you really have to just enjoy playing right now because we know from experience of seeing other teams how quickly things can just disintegrate so you might as well just enjoy this we've beaten France who even though we were number one team in the world people said we're probably the actual number one team in the world so yeah I'm happy out and just going to keep going keep enjoying it yeah, the I watched the the Beelham Keenan uh, you know pass and Keenan literally is dissects Wayne Barnes and Antonio the prop like half a second earlier half a second later he runs into one of those two people it could not be more perfectly timed and yeah like that to have a confidence of that just to, to you know in the, it wasn't even a set piece it was middle of open play like phase a couple of phases in it was I've I've watched it back uh, being dissected by an analyst and it was it was a set move off a goal line dropout they know exactly what they're doing the ball goes to Doris he hits it up a few times and then it's on it's on it's on they they call it so it's like a three phase set move that they know it all the pieces need to fall into place but they've identified it it's such smart rugby and it's similar to what Leinster have been doing from them tap and goes it's identifying another way of scoring and it's just going to add another string to the bow of uh, the Irish team it's really it's so hard to stop a team that just has so many different styles of punch. Yeah, like Westy, uh, criticism of Schmidt at his peak was that they were predictable, and that's what that's what brought basically the demise of his era was that teams knew what was happening. This team under Farrell seems to just be constantly coming up with new things and getting better. Yeah, um, I guess so. Um, I think, um, I think we've said it before. Part of that comes down to atmosphere amongst the team, like. A lot of that, let's say you say you saw this move um, in Leinster a few years ago. I think I saw, um, I think someone in Australia used it um, in the under 20s or something as well. But that's kind of indicative of what happened with Schmidt. Schmidt was very innovative when he came in and had these kind of new things going with Leinster and early on in Ireland. And then he adapted a game plan to the players he had and kind of curtailed, let's say, there was that, I don't know if it was ever official, but they said they weren't allowed to offload. Um so as as his tenure progressed, he got more and more conservative. And in what I think was like playing to the strengths of the team and, and the old phase of control the controllables, where I think the um the Andy Farrell environment is a lot more open. It's probably a lot more um have a go, especially in training. And if something works well in training, they're like, oh, like let's implement that right now. Do you know? So I'd say it's very possible because the lads know it from when Schmidt was there, and then Farrell's like Yes, if we've got that in the locker, let's use it. Or maybe Farrell's aware of it and says, let's try it in training and it works and it's brought in. You know, I just think that the environment, everybody says it. We, we've heard it from the camp. We hear it from the journalists. The camp is a lot more open and positive. So these things being thrown in and tried aren't as much of a shock as maybe towards the latter end of the of the Schmidt era. And I know that that's been very harsh on Joe Schmidt. but The post-Brian O'Driscoll-Schmidt era. Yeah, well, it, it just pro- proves that, like, and I do think there was a plan probably for us to progress our game plan until Japan scared the shit out of us, and then we had to go back to ultra-conservative play. Um, but it, it's just proof that, like, this Andy Farrell era doesn't happen without Joe Schmidt because the basis is laid over the last kind of 
I know it doesn't give us a lot of solace because we did, well, we won a few Six Nations, but we didn't win any, you know, there wasn't any, well, we didn't win a World Cup. Um, but we, this has been, you know, eight to nine years of progression within the team. Yeah, and what I like about it as well is that, you know, we, we were saying last week, Ireland score early. They tend to score early and they kind of just canter off. It didn't happen this week. You know, there did a couple, a couple of times where they could have set back and or, 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 you know, went into their shells, like, Going in at halftime, only six points up, when Ireland pretty much had a lot of the ball that first half. You know, you could convince yourself like, oh wow, like France is going to have a proper patch now, second half, and kick on. And it just doesn't seem to happen with this Irish team yet. Now it hasn't happened yet, um, but like that's a really good French team who know how to win. They were on what fourteen game winning streak, um, and you know they they just were better than them, straight up better than them. Now obviously in Dublin compared to Paris, it's a different a different beast, but. Um, it's just so much, so much positive, and we have to, you know, again a couple of standout performers. Doris again was fantastic. A special word, obviously, Connor Murray. You know, it's been pretty well documented the tough couple of days he's had leading up to that game, um, and you know we've been critical of Connor Murray in the past, and still are to a certain degree. But this role that he's found himself in with this Farrell kind of system, he's thriving, and he's he's been really, really good. And to you know to focus on a game like that with all that was going on in his personal life. You have to tip your hat to him, um, you know, for for doing that. He's come out. He's come out since and said, like, obviously, that the support system around them with the Irish team and all that's fantastic. And um, there just seems to be a really good vibe around the Irish camp at the moment. And let's hope that continues uh, going forward. Um, with Italy coming up, obviously, in two weeks' time, Sam, do we expect a couple of changes going forward? Do we expect the likes of Ross Byrne to start? Maybe Craig Casey to start? Um, or do you think they'll stick with this kind of system they have? Farrell's never been a wholesale changes guy, regardless of if it was Italy or Georgia, whoever it was. So it's, I don't think it'll be wholesale, especially given you know the the standard that Italy played at. I don't know today's game they weren't very, as good, but you know they still looked dangerous, and I don't think that Italy uh, in Italy would be a walkover anymore. So I don't expect wholesale changes. I'd I'd say Ross Byrne will get the nod, regardless. Uh, I think was it Ty Byrne was in a moon boot. I can't see him playing if he was in a moon boot. They wouldn't be risking him. So you know that's a good opportunity for Henderson to come in. Uh, I think that there'll be one or two others, you know, maybe Aki, he likes Aki, so maybe Aki did get in, but Stuart McCluskey is riding the crest of a wave, so why would you get in the way of that? So it's a hard, it's a hard one to know, but he's got a squad there, and one of the benefits of this year with the injuries has been, I think the atmosphere around camp will be even higher than it would have been if there wasn't so many injuries, because so many of these squad players are now having a role. Finley has gone from being a very good squad player who started four times to now having two big performances in a row. So that's going to be massive for him. So Farrell's going to want to try and jump on that, you know, get Tom O'Toole on the same wavelength, the same vibe by playing him and having a good game and rewarding people who've been in and around camp long enough because the camps are quite big. I think that some of the 20s players are actually going to be in camp this week as well. Uh, so, you know, rewarding them, giving them the opportunity to play, and that's just going to create a much better atmosphere, a much better competitive nature amongst the squad going into the World Cup. So I don't think it'll be wholesale changes at all. I'd say... You probably see is I don't know is Gibson Park back or not, but it's two weeks off now. So if he is back, uh, he'd probably get his game because they want to see him run out. But if not, Casey deserves a place. I think he's been okay the last couple of games. Burn, you know, he's been quite good. He's been an able deputy for Sexton there, so you get him in. Uh, Ringrose probably need a break. Sheehan was injured, you know, but Kelleher a little bit of a game time. So there's players there that need some game time as well. Uh, I can't see Farrell making 14 or 15 changes. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not his way. And Italy are no longer the whipping boys. So there's no point in trying it because you will just embarrass yourself. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Ross Byrne, Westy. Uh, obviously, come on, 30 minutes to go. And, you know, had a really good game, did nothing stupid, did, did what it was asked from. We're seeing a lot of, and from big time journalists, Rory O'Connor in particular, tweeting out, um, you know the the conversation with the backup ten jersey is done now. What what are we going to talk about? Uh, do you think the conversation is done with the backup ten jersey, Westy? Um, no, I, I don't see how it can be done until you know until we play Rossburn against the tier one opposition. You know, it, it it to me it might have made more sense to 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 tweet that after the Australia game when Jack Rowley started and you know played pretty well and you know we didn't fall apart without Johnny Sexton. Well. Now, we didn't play great, but, um, you know, to, to say that 10 conversations have been silenced after somebody's come on, well, well, I suppose, you know, you come on play about half an hour, 25 minutes at the weekend, but has still only played probably less than an hour of rugby across three games. To say that the 10 conversation is silenced is 
I mean, uh, it'd be great if he was right, but I, I don't think it is. I mean, I don't think you can put that much stock in Ross Byrne. I think one of the funny things for me is uh, Ross Byrne has improved and has been very, very consistent for Leinster, but he's doing things that he was doing for Ireland four years ago, five years ago, and people weren't giving him recognition. Now he's coming on and seeing out games. He's quite level-headed. He's quite reliable in a lot of what he does. And that is fantastic to have. He's also proven that his game management's improved a little bit. I'll definitely concede that. Um, and I definitely, definitely think he deserves to be in the squad. I'm not questioning his involvement. But to say that the backup 10 question is solved, we've we've never really been stuck for someone to come on and close out a game for 10 minutes. The, the conversation's always been at who would be 10 when Sexton's gone. And I, I'm sorry, I... Hopefully there's more to see, and I would be delighted if it was Ross Byrne, but I don't think we've seen enough from him across three games off the bench to say that. He needs a start. He needs a good performance. Um, will it come against Italy? It could, but yeah, more likely a start against Scotland or England will, will really put kind of confidence in me. You know, we played France last year in Paris. Carberry played, uh, I can tell you exactly, Carberry played 78 minutes and 30 seconds. Um and was a very, very stable performance. He didn't do a whole lot wrong. We were overpowered by France, um, maybe out, out thought a little bit. Um, had a, you know, his, his kick to Hansen for that try is, is unbelievable. So you could have said then that, oh, we're in good place with Carberry. And then look at what's happened in the space of a year. So I really don't think it's... Um, I think people are going, pushing very, very hard to make up for how much they hung Rossburn out to dry uh, four years ago. This yeah, this is what annoys me because like Rory Connor is one of Ireland's leading rugby journalists. Like people will take what he says for for you know for gospel. Like and it's just like that's such bad journalism. Like how can you say that after thirty minutes? I just don't get. Like we said that about Joey Carberry, as you said, Westy. He's not in the squad. We said it about Harry Byrne for a while was the next answer. He's playing AIL like some some weeks. Uh, you know Crowley was hot shit for a while. Like we just like we really do love shooting ourselves in the foot sometimes in Ireland. I saw a very funny uh, observation on Twitter as well about some of the journalists saying stuff like, "Oh, James Ryan back to his best," but these journalists were never saying anything when he wasn't supposedly at his best. Uh, you know, they've all said he's back to his best, but no one was ever critical of him at the time, uh, which I think you know we we were, and I think rightfully so because he was unbelievable when he came onto the scene, and he's gotten much much better now in the last year or two. He's, he is really back to his best, but there's a lot of people who are quick to say he's back to the best. That were never ever critical of him when he wasn't playing to that standard, and we're saying stuff like he should be going on the Lions tour, which was at the time just not in my mind anyway conceivable. He wasn't he wasn't good enough at the time, so it's great to see him back. And he was I thought he was really good at the weekend. I think he was so busy. I think he was so aggressive. And I, like you said last week, bit of a bastard. And I think that that's exactly what you need against that French team that were supposed to beat us up up front. We were supposed to take on Porter and Beelham, you know, and Herring, the three kind of. I know Porter is like unbelievable and plays week in week out but he's been questioned over his ability to scrum and Beelham's constantly been questioned over his ability to scrum or be a deputy for Furlong and Herring people were questioning Herring I was like Do you remember New Zealand like Herring is there's no questioning Herring I thought Keller was great when he came on but you know that French team were supposed to beat us up and they didn't uh, and bastards like James Ryan were the reason yeah it, take, it takes brave journalism to, to call someone a bastard uh, you know what I mean and get away with it and we did that last week uh, and I can't remember he's also he has family in Clonbert in Galway so he's a good conic man as well uh, apparently he, yeah apparently he's around uh, quite often during the summer I have a friend in Clonbert said that he's very good with his time so I think he wants to move west I think I think he wants to test himself against those Atlantic prevailing winds yeah if you get him down you get Kellen Darth to come home uh, Sam Prendergast to join his brother um, and then you know we'll see we'll see what Connor are capable well, of. But pump your brakes, Hotshot. We don't need Sam Prendergast. Okay, we have a better ten who's been on the bench in the other twenties who hasn't who didn't get a shot. We'll get to that later on. I mean, I meant for someone to carry Harry West's fucking boots. That's yeah, what I meant. Damn right. Sorry, sorry. Apology. I thought I should have clarified that. You should. Have. We also do look playing at ten at twelve, so we could bring them both down. We do. <laughs> yeah. Hell, does Harry want to play like like full back? We'll we'll play him anywhere. You know. Uh, before we move on to our next games, I want to shout out Fanzo, of course, who have kindly linked up with us uh, for the Six Nations for their Pint Prediction League, where you can win free pints. Uh, and also, if you join the Master of None League by joining the league with the code name None, uh, the top three will win vouchers to Della Restaurant, who have kindly sponsored vouchers for the top three positions. Um, and they've been nothing but kind to us. So thank you again to um, Della Restaurant. Um, we'll do a our, our quick recap of our predictions. 
Uh, I said Ireland by three points. I was off with that. I said Scotland by ten. Was also off by that. I said England by fourteen, which has been like my closest one so far, <laughs> uh, which hasn't been great. But the league long listener and friend of the podcast, Jack Fogarty, is out in front on ninety-seven points. Looking back here, Jack got the Irish result bang on. He said Ireland by thirteen, confident in his in his team. Uh, he said Scotland by three, which was uh, low, and then England by nineteen again, which is pretty quick or pretty close. Sorry, should I say? Second place we have Mark Fitzgerald on ninety three points, and then in third place we have Patrick O'Sullivan. I think it's O'Sullivan. It just says O comma S O, so I think the only logical one there is O'Sullivan, right? <laughs> uh, but I could be wrong. So Patrick, I don't know. I can't see your name. It it doesn't. Uh, Patrick's full set for next week already. He's in I his see zone. that he's locked in. Patrick is at his laptop right now. Just focusing on, on those locked-in settings. Uh, yeah, Jack's on 97 points. Mark on 93. So they've sort of separated themselves from the bunch a little bit. And then Patrick on 84. Ahead of our good old friend Lorcan Smith in fort. Uh, he's, he's, he's hanging around there like a bad schmell. And he might be getting himself some Della vouchers in the, in, the, in the coming weeks. But yeah, yeah. Congrats to Jack so far. Leading that to two weeks. Still three weeks to go, though. And all to play for in the Fanzo League. So thanks again for everyone who's joined. You can still join and win free pints. Uh, Guinness uh, and bragging rights over your friends completely free to join and you support uh, the podcast here as well so thanks again to Fanzo and Della Restaurant Uh, moving on to the second game on Saturday that was uh, Scotland and Wales Scotland coming out on top 35 points to 7 all the talk during the week was will Scotland throw this away they've they've started well before and always followed up with a stinker performance and here they go and they beat Wales handsomely Westy are Scotland the real deal? Should we be, as you know, Ireland in the in the group stage of this World Cup, should we be scared of this team? Um, I've already sold my tickets. You know, that's nice. how confident I am in Scotland. I've given up on going to France in the World Cup. Um, no, I mean, um, it's definitely really impressive to back up the performance. Um, they got off to a relatively slow start. Well, not necessarily a slow start, but it was a relatively close first half. Um I wasn't overly confident they were going to see it through, but um, yeah, they just like Finn Russell built and built into the game. And I think, I mean, I've said it before when Finn's on form, they're, they're very, very hard to stop. Um, even Gregor Townsend just doesn't look happy when Finn is involved in the scoring of a try. They cut to him a couple of times on the coverage and he was just kind of like, like someone was like tapping him, but like we scored. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, it's no, like it's great to see them back it up. I think, England got a lot of shit last week um, for Scotland beating them. It's great to see Scotland backed it up and show that it is them. It is them progressing. It is their game plan coming together. Um, so or it's really Wales were just phenomenally shit. W- Wales were a bit shit, yeah. But I mean, it, it like Wales Wales were shit last year, and Scotland still lost to them. So you know, it's important that Scotland are now able to beat um, beat a shit Wales. Um, uh, Gatland had obviously made a few changes. He brought in a few young lads. Um, I, th- I thought that I thought there were decent performances around the park, but they just seemed rudderless at times with their attack. Like it, it seems very much outside of the the old Warren ball, like of pick and goes and up the jumper. Like there's not a lot else there. Everything else feels a bit forced when they try and go too far out the box. Um, in terms of an Ireland sense, like I, I think Scotland are putting a marker down now as a really competitive side for the rest of the tournament. Um, we will have to take them very seriously when when the time comes. Um, I think we're away in Murrayfield, aren't we? Um, so it, it will be a tough place to go. They'll be riding a pretty strong wave. Um, I believe they have France next. Um, so that will be a real it'll be a real test for them to go to Paris and get that result. And they'll be thinking the same thing we were all thinking, right? Like you know, they're not they're not sitting there thinking we're going to come third in our group. They're thinking that we can, you know, we can come second. We can win this group if, if they get the bounce of a ball, right? Like if, if they keep playing the way they're playing. So they will also be thinking about Scott or about France in the quarterfinals. So um, I think it's a bit of a reality check for us not to get too far ahead of ourselves, which again, we have in the last group stages, we, we weren't thinking about Japan. We were thinking about the game the week after. So, um, or we have to get the week after the game, two weeks after we played Russia and then we played, um, who else did we play? Oh, Samoa and yeah, um, oh yeah, it was yeah we played yeah we we had Scotland the first game yeah sorry um, we were thinking about getting out of the group stage we weren't thinking about our, our next opponent so I think it'll be a nice leveler for us because 
we have to now pay, well, I don't we wouldn't pay attention to them anyway, but we'll have to keep our heads kind of level when discussing Scotland. But again, it's about the rise of talent across their squad. Like again, I've gone, gone about Finn Russell, but uh, Huey Pelotu, their, their centre partnership is unbelievable. And then Duhan arguably had a better game this week than last week. He just didn't run from his own 22. He carried really strong, um, always on the front foot, always sucking in three or four defenders. Kyle Stain uh, was really good on the wing, uh, took his tries really well. Um, and they have a really, really good pack. I'm so happy to see Johnny Gray back involved with Scotland. I was a huge fan of his uh, back in 2012, I think, when he was on the Lions tour and then was kind of out of Scotland squads for years. And it was it was his brother, um, Johnny Gray. Did I say Johnny Gray or Richie Gray? Um, I always get them mixed up. I always get Johnny Gray, Richie Gray and Jamie Ritchie mixed up. The names are too similar for my brain to go through. Um, but yeah, look, it's great. It, it's great to see them develop in such a, such a talented squad and that's without uh, Hamish Watson still isn't there so they still have power to come back so um, building really well really tough game next um, but yeah they've backed up one strong performance with another so um, I think they're, they'll be really happy with how they've gone and we'll have to pay them a bit extra attention now yeah, they'll be going to Paris with a lot of confidence, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, Sam, like Scotland, West kind of summed it up well, like they're a really good team now and then they still have that crazy X factor of Finn. Like, like Ireland are pretty good at planning against teams, but how do you plan against a man who doesn't have a plan? Uh, Finn is, you know, he's he's obviously really, really good and he's still very good in the sense, but, but he is capable of doing anything and it, that that's petrifying, I'm sure, if you're Andy Farrell. His game is a lot more, a lot smarter than people give him credit for, though, as well. Like, he sees a gap and he takes it, but it doesn't mean he's just going wild and throwing st- things for the crack. Like, he's a f- sensational ball player. He is brilliant with his hands, with his boot. He had a game plan. They had a game plan that centered around him abusing a a disjointed Welsh backline. I think George North at 13. He just, George North, I saw a video of him getting absolutely smoked earlier, and that's like, you wouldn't have said that about George North ever in his career being beaten for pace you know josh adams rio dyer he's still young but i don't think that they had a good game at all and finn russell really exploited that and created that and created havoc by playing the way he does uh, and then outside of him he's you know west was talking about tupelo two and hugh jones they're such a strong center partnership and then you have harris who was a lion like a year ago as well like and he's not getting in Kyle stain that merva hog like hog's position's not necessarily nailed down now because kinghorn was absolutely class when he came on so Scotland aren't just a good 15 with your know, Finn running it. Scotland are a good 23. Scotland are a good deep squad now. And Finn is that X Factor player. Like we have Sexton in Ireland. Finn is that X Factor player that just makes it all tick once it's going. You know, I don't think that wealth of talent would you wouldn't get the best out of them if you had any of the other Scottish tens. I don't think I don't think Ben Healy is coming into that team and getting the best out of that center partnership or the best out of like a Kyle Stain on the one wing, but your know, Finn Russell enables them to play to their potential because he is so smart with the ball he is so good you know he can throw a clanger in there but i think that just adds to his benefit because people expect a clanger and then when he doesn't he has things like that last try where he hits a gap like a every like your average rugby player and instead of getting tackled he <laughs> finds the most perfectly timed and weighted pass for the try in the corner so it's he's he's such a hard player to plan against because it's not that he's a headless chicken running around and getting lucky he is He's very calculated in his ability and he's very confident in his ability and he he just knows how to use that and to utilize that to bring players into the game. Like he chips over first twelve all the time. It happens for Racing, it happened for Scotland for years. And that just keeps the back line and the defense honest. And then once you have that, you create these gaps that he can exploit. Yeah, and obviously Finn playing his club rugby in France, he's not going to be intimidated and going to France to play for Scotland. He's not going to care as normal. And he's game. moving to Bath as well, which is a uh, I think that'll get bums on seats in Bath. Like, you know, if they see the, those sort of performances. Imagine you were a player coming to Connacht played like that in Six Nations. People will be buying season tickets to, just for the opportunity to see him alone. Like, it's what a bit of business from Bath to get him to move. And three-year deal as well. I was listening to him on Rugby Pass talking about it. You know, that's a three-year deal. And then he was look, saying he'd love to move back to France after. Like, three years in Bath. Like, that's that's huge business from Bath. Yeah, and like if you come to Connacht, you get a season ticket to play him and a free bolognese. I mean, you know what I mean. That is huge. Never got one. Well, you live, you lived a lot closer than us, and we got it. So you've only you really got to look at yourself in the mirror. I Western didn't read the email properly. You only had a week to go and claim it on the grounds. So do you know who did? Do you know who did read the email properly? Me and Sam. I don't yeah. read. And I ate my bolognese. I actually made it into pasta bake though. I didn't. I didn't use the bolognese. I made it into pasta bake. 
Louise's wellness. And it was, you know what, it was worth the money we spent on, on the season ticket, that's for sure. Um, it was worth not seeing them till October. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, moving on to last game I was on today, England and Italy and Twickenham. England coming out on top, 31 points to 14. Said last week, lads, bet of the week, Italy plus 19. Romped home, not, two points to spare. Uh, England, 19 up at half time. I think 19-0 up at half time, 18-0 up at half time. Uh, looked like a hockey game was on the cards. But, Westy, is this a is this a, an ode to the new Italy where they came out and actually won the second half? Yeah, like it, it always does sound kind of condescending when you know when you say like oh, oh they won the second half, you know. But it was, I I think you have to remember as well like Italy had two pretty costly yellow cards and they lost Michele Lamro very early on, so it was very disruptive to their to their game plan. Um, again they started pretty slow, letting in what let in those three tries again within half an hour, just over half an hour they were three tries down. Um, so another poor start, but yeah, like they're kind of the fight and the kind of attitude they have to come back and get those two, take two really good tries in the second half, you know, two, um, two great kind of uh, snipes kind of near the line, one from, one from a prop and one from the replacement scrum half. Um, I, I think, uh, as, as we said before, like, that they have the players that can create these chances. Again, Capo, so every time he gets that ball, he's cutting through, um, cutting through uh, the defence. It was, <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was very impressive to see them fight back. And I think one of the things, again, like it, it's, it, it'll be tough for them to take a pat in the back for a loss, but this is the type of game, especially when England get that fifth try with 10 minutes to go. That's the type of game three years ago. England running three more tries in the last 10 minutes. And this is the kind of scoreline that always kind of ruined Italy in, in the kind of post-care. People are like, oh, look, they lost by 30 points here. They lost by 40 points here. Um, and it's not always really indicative of their performance because, as we said before, they tend to like fall apart in the last 20 minutes. Um but yeah, a lot of character to fight back, a lot of character to stay in the fight and, and you know, still be trying to get that other try in the last, you know, 10 minutes of the game. So um, discipline is really an issue this week, which is disappointing because they, they seemed quite well put together last week. They actually lived off a lot of French errors in terms of taking their points and building into the game, which they didn't really do so much. Um, I think a big thing that's missing from them is is a start in 10. I think Paolo Garabisi will be back Um Maybe for the Ireland game, it's two weeks' time, so I don't know exactly. Um, so I think that will bring breed a bit more life into their into their backline. I can't wait to see him and Ange Caparozzo kind of um, link up together. Um, it's also worth mentioning that Jake Pledry came on again with half an hour to go, and okay, he had to leave for HIA, but he was amazing when he came on. So if you look at a potential Italy team for two weeks from now, a back row of Negri, who again was brilliant this week, Negri, Lamro, and Pledry starting, that's really really difficult to compete against. So. If you then combine that with your kind of X-factor players of Padovani, uh, Capuoso and um, Garabisi, if they're all back, all of a sudden this Italian team becomes very, very hard to contain. And Rex is class as well. Ignacio, Ignacio Rex is great. I, don't, I think he's got some problems with his defence, but um, very, very creative player in that sense. Um, but I think, look, I think it, it shouldn't be a problem for us. We are going to Rome, so... Uh, it, it does kind of have a bit of an air about it. I think we'll need to kind of uh, to take this a bit more seriously. You guys were talking about potential changes for Ireland. Um, I've said before, I think the key to these games is to do four to three to five kind of changes and let the machine work as a whole, but just change a few parts rather than having 10 changes, which is sensibly the way Farrell goes. Um, but if I was Italy, I'd be, I'd be I'd be relatively happy overall. You know, they did let the France game get away from them. They, I don't think they've ever, they've never gone to England and won. It is a place where they usually get, as I say, 30, 40 points put on them. So to stay in the fight and give a good account of themselves and to threaten England and get through England so many times, um, I think they'd be really proud of the performance overall. I think the result is fully indicative of, of how they played. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I, I think they're getting, they have time to grow now and reassess. So, if you're Wales going to Italy in three weeks' time, it's going to be a, or a month's time. That's very difficult. And Scotland, last day of the tournament, I mean, you never know with Italy. So I think they're in a pretty good place. You'd just love to see it come together a little bit earlier in the game so they don't give themselves so much work to do. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, Sam, on England side things, people who know a lot more about the sport than me are, uh, have been saying Borthwick has already got a good part of his game plan sort of, you know, uh, initiated into this team and you know by no means a, a fantastic second half but you know they got the job done and they're still learning as they go you know with you know in a couple of weeks time and even come a world cup this team should be pretty damn good 
they'll be pretty damn hard to beat. I think Borthwick as a coach is never going to be the vintage Baba style, keep ball alive, was KBA that Raj saying, like, I don't think that that's the game plan he's ever going to implement. It's not his style. We saw Leicester win the league last year. Connacht, we had first-hand experience of playing a Borthwick-Leicester team. You know, they're, they're hard to beat. They're very strong. They put a massive amount of emphasis on the breakdown. Uh, I don't know for sure now, like, forgive me, but Borthwick was one of the coaches under Eddie Jones in these English setups, you know, so he's he's got a, an Eddie Jones-style playbook in him anyway, uh, and we've seen that with Leicester team, so I don't I don't think that they're going to be a be-all and end-all, keep the ball alive, playing to the strength of a Marcus Smith, but I think that they'll be really difficult to beat, and today they were, you know, they're three, four more tries, uh, going to the corner, backing themselves, having you know, players like Lewis Ludlum or you know, Maro Toje when he's firing. Chesham I thought was very good today. Uh, front row that has Jamie George, Kyle Sinclair and Ellis Genger going to be a very tough opposition to play against just in the scrum, the mall, in the open field. They're all really good ball players as well as really strong and really hard to play against. And then you know where he goes with his 10, if he has Farrell like he did today. Farrell, we know what Farrell brings. He brings, he's difficult to stop. He's a strong player. He's a big 10. He is a 12 playing 10 sort of idea and then you had Ali Lawrence playing so I think Borthwick has implemented enough of his game plan now to see him through the Six Nations but I think his game plan will continue to grow and thrive uh, going into a Six Na- or into World Cup where they're on the easier side of the draw and they're going to be very very difficult to beat and if you come across them in a one-off game if that's a quarter-final semi-final or a final I think that they will just absolutely wear you down in the manner in which Jose Mourinho would have done in you know, football for years or soccer for years where he just you know, makes him so frustratingly hard to play against and he capitalizes on your mistakes and your fatigue and your uh, when you lose the rag of playing against a team that, that impenetrable. I think that that's where they're going to aim to get under Borthwick in the next couple of months. This Six Nations is probably a little bit early for them and I can't, I, like I can see Ireland beating them at home and I don't think that they'll do hugely well but I'd say they'll probably beat uh, Wales and you know them against France. It'll be a tough game, but I'd say France will come out winners of that. But yeah, the 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 roots and the 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 basic kind of building blocks of what Borthwick is going to bring into this team and bring to this team is definitely evident today uh, and a little bit last week, but not as much. So I wouldn't pay too much heed to English fans who are giving out about it because it's how Borthwick is going to be. He's not going to do an Andy Farrell and suddenly change, you know, and have developed a style that that clicks. Uh, into a more expansive heads up rugby sort of game he's going to be much much harder to beat much more solid uh, and probably quite similar to what Eddie Jones was but just using the abilities of the player in a fresh voice yeah def- I, I'm just for the crack here looking up the odds for the World Cup uh, England are 7-1 to win the World Cup which is not bad for a team that's pretty much guaranteed to get to what a semi-final of a World Cup uh, obviously France favourites New Zealand joint favourites Ireland 9-2 and South Africa 5-1 Westy, Chile, what odds do you think? Chile. Your uh, beloved Chile. My beloved Chile. Um, oh, God, I'd love to see them win it. I'm going to go 200 to 1. 2,500 to 1. Oh, I'll take that bet, man. That's worth 10 on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Portugal, also 2,500 to 1. Namibia, Uruguay, all 2,500 to 1. Where are my boy Samoa? It, Samoa, 500 to 1. Got it. Sorry. Japan, 200 to 1. Scotland. Scotland being the same odds as Wales to win it. Oh, Scotland are the bad side of the draw. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, Tonga, Samoa, Georgia, all 500 to 1. Romania, 2000 to 1. So Romania obviously viewed much higher than the Uruguays and maybe as Chile's and Portugal's. Romania have had two big wins over the last two weekends. So, you know. Let's Back not, them then, Westy. Let's, let's not talk about who they were playing against. But... Uh... I think it's it's two. They won both games by about thirty or forty points. So you know, I wouldn't. Uh, wins a win. Wins, wins a win. win. Um, yeah, that'll wrap up our Six Nations. We'll turn our attention to the URC. It's back this weekend. It's back and better than ever. Uh, and can't are in action away action to Italy. Um, they play Zebra on Saturday, at three o'clock. Uh, Zebra in sixteenth, Connacht in tenth. Obviously, it's been a few weeks since we talked about Connacht, but. Um, we kind of before we left that conversation a couple of weeks ago. Every obviously mo- most every game now is is a must win. But as we broke it up into blocks, these next two games, your your zebra and your dragons, uh, Sam, as we were talking about before, these are the real must wins because then you go into that last block of three at least with a chance and at least you know 
one of those games can be a loss, but these two are essentially must-win games. Yeah, Zebra and Dragons are the two, regardless of how good they're playing at any given time. They're the two that if you want to be getting into your Europe since your top seven or top eight, you should be eyeing five points from the two of them. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I think they're tough games because Zebra away is never going to be overly easy and Dragons have been a bogey team for Connacht for years now. But if you want to be considered in that top six, seven, eight, you need to be looking at these as you know two five-point games and that's how Connacht need to view them because they will give them the platform to go into the slightly harder games in the running. And there's, you know, all the teams around us, all the teams above us are all going to be playing each other over the next couple of weeks. So it's not in any way beyond possibility of getting into top eight or top seven if we just manage our results to the best of our abilities and getting maximum points from these two is, I think, fairly integral now to the the rest of our season. And it continues to ride a wave of momentum. You know, we are at a positive ebb at the moment in what has been a very up and down season. So I think that the team needs to go out Treat it because it is kind of one-off being in the middle of the Six Nations. Treat it as a one-off. Treat it as a final go full strength. Don't be looking too much for rotation because we did that when we were in the chocolate block 10-week part of the season. We now have a one-off game that we can go full ham and whatever we have ability all guns blazing and try and just capitalize on a Zebra team that they are down the bottom of the league for a reason. They're not the best. They're not They're not in any way the best. They're no good uh, really. And that's how you have to view them. They can play some nice stuff the end of last season, they gave us a little bit of a scare and what was a weird game for the end of a kind of season, nothing really riding on it and a few of the players signing off. So they gave us a little bit of a scare and this year they've had some good moments and looked pretty decent. And did they beat Munster? I can't remember, but uh, it's... <laughs> no, uh, was that Dragons? I can't even remember. There, there was a there was a whole Munster thing. Uh, it was Dragons, there. it was JJ Hanratton's revenge game. JJ Hanratton's revenge game, yeah. But no, it's uh, they, they've managed to scare teams, but they've not been competitive and they're where they are on the table for a reason so Connacht should be looking at going and getting the full five points here and like hopefully they do and it's not a you know a scary moment for us and we're not sitting there biting our nails with 70 and 72nd minute where we're home and hosed by half time and then you know unloading some of the subs that that's the, that's the ideal and the goal you know that's what we that's what we want yeah you make a point by going uh full out because i'm looking at the table here the game obviously next weekend then you've two weeks off uh, for the Dragons game again you have two weeks off before the Edinburgh game two weeks off for the Cardiff game and then you have back-to-back Cardiff-Glasgow so there really should be no resting or as you say big rotation here obviously the international boys will come back in at some stage there and you've, you've Europe as well but there really have to be all, all guns blazing and we obviously talked during the week the Val Senegal um, leaving the club it looks like going back to France uh, nothing confirmed yet obviously but rumours going around and other rumours saying that he's buying a house in Galway so I don't know what to believe like Midi Olympic the French journalist could just be lighting a fire yeah well the, the the point of the conversation is and we were talking during the week and uh, Wesley I want to give your views on this you know since we've been doing this podcast I think we've had at least two of the seasons where we've been talking about a lot of turnaround in the coaching staff and it's tough to get a real kind of judge of where we are and it looks like we're going into now another season next year with Andy Friend leaving no idea who's replacing him is Pete Wilkins going to be a head coach Deval Senecal could be on the way out it is frustrating as Connor fans that yet again we're looking at maybe another year of learning new systems learning a new way of playing what the coach wants instead of having another year of consistency because like we saw this year I think Connacht have pushed on a little bit and it's because it's been a bit more of a you know consistent coaching uh, staff do you, are you frustrated about this yeah I think I think if we lost the vault that'd be pretty frustrated like uh, my mind flashes back to two seasons ago where any rolling mall inside t- 10 meters from our line was a try like he came in and instantly change that you know by changing the way our forwards get set for these things now if it, the only problem is sometimes now we set a bit early and give away a penalty there but um for me and um i hope Pete wilkins doesn't mind me saying this but i hope he stays at head coach um especially if we're going to lose the vault because I, I i want at least some because we're losing mossy lawler as well so i want at least some familiarity stay inside the coaching ticket and um, fair enough if a new director of rugby comes in um Pete can still lay out his training plan and, and negotiate it. Or maybe if Pete does move to director of rugby, he can then dictate down what he wants the game plan to be. But the more change you have, the kind of more you want certain voices to stay the same, you know? And um, I, I think like 
Pete's been doing really well. He's involved with the Ireland squad last year and they went to um, New Zealand. So I'd like to see that vein continue. Um, the, one of the good things as well is we've seen so many vital players be re-given contracts. So at least we know we're not going through a massive player transition like we have in other years. Although I know there's still a lot of players that are still out of contract. So um, it's a really tough one to call. I couldn't blame the vault for going if he got a good deal from France. But um, I'd be really disappointed to see him go. I think he's a huge asset in terms of coaching. It just puts us so much up in the air if we're looking for a director of rugby and a defence coach, or maybe maybe we get lucky and we bring in a director of rugby who has a defence coach or has a coach he's going to bring in with him that that would ease the transition. But as you said, we've kind of been a bit like I've said it a few times, and I've been reluctant to say it too many times this year. We're finally winning, with the exception of a couple of the interpros that I feel like we should have won. We're finally winning games that we should win. You know, where we're let's say we're at high to mid table team and we're beating teams that we're perceptually that we should be ahead of in terms of uh, the capability of our squad and in terms of our overall performance. Whereas last year, you know, we were beating Ulster uh, in the Aviva Stadium and then losing to Dragons a week later. So I think that inconsistency is what comes with that team in transition. Um, and I, I think we're kind of finally, you know, tailing off towards the end of that. And I think there's we're in a really good position for the last few games of the season. A, a win against everybody, there's only five points between us and seventh. So now all those teams would have to lose, of course. I'm just saying that it's still a, a very tight race. Um, so I would be worried to go back to another year of um, kind of uh, inconsistent performances. Um, whereas I think we've been a little bit more consistent this year in the, in the games we're winning. We're not having as many shock victories, but we're also consistently beating teams that you look at a team and say, that's not their best team, we should beat them. Or that's not the best team in Wales, we should beat them. Um, so, yeah, I'd be very worried if we lo- if, if we go back into that period of, oh, like, we're going to beat Leinster one week, but lose to Zebra the week after. Like, I, I'd rather a couple of years of a stable base for us to build off than kind of throwing, uh, ripping up the, the playbook and go back to square one, you know? Yeah, like Sam West makes a good point. It's very hard to get better when you are having these so many transition years. Ireland, for example, now are flourishing, but the first year, year and a half of Farrell's reign was far from was far from great. A lot of people weren't happy with it. But after time, and once he gets consistent year after year, now you're seeing you know the fruit of that labor. It, it, it's just so tough for Connacht to become that team that we all want them to become when this happens. Yeah, it's hard to put your finger on why because it seemed from the outside in it would seem like we have had consistency we've had friendy here this is his fifth year i think is it uh, and you know he's moving on he said that from the outset that we knew this was his last one he put in place he, he moved into the director of rugby role to, to put in place a team below him which is wilkins and senecal tucker massey lawler and you know it, it does and those are all players outside of senecal who this is his second year they're all coaches that have been in place in some regard in kind of set up for number of years now so it, it's hard to say that it is wholly transitional and changing but the, there was massive overhaul when carolyn and duffy left like those were two they were two cornerstones of the club and they'd been with the club for donkey's years you know and uh, uh carolyn could potentially come back you know that that would be something that i think a lot of comic fans would enjoy i think he personally kind of made it seem that he wanted to come back but not quite so soon so i don't see him coming back but uh from you know for our beliefs anyway, is that Connector in the interviewing process and the, a new coach will be announced quite soon. I wouldn't see it lasting too much longer than than now. I think, you know, maybe end of Six Nations at the latest, but something will have to be announced at some point because you're trying to bring in new players, you're trying to re-sign players and those players that sign, some of them are some big names that were highly taught, like highly sought after outside of Connacht. So I've no doubt that they were reassured about the future. So we want to get that all kind of settled. Uh, but it will have a, change it's how quickly you can adapt to that change you look at Munster the first three four games this season they look like they were all over the place but Roundtree has managed to bring something out of that Munster team and if even if that's not his eventual game plan that he wanted to implement as a head coach it is something that he identified to be there and has played to the strengths of Munster and they've they've been on amazing form since that first couple of games since the hiccups at the start of the season so that's what you'd want a new coach to do my personal preference would be Pete Wilkins to stay in position Seneca and Tucker to stay in position bring in a uh, director of rugby above him so like a like for like replacement with Andy Friend that's what I I think would be my personal preference but you don't know who's applying you could have like a McNamara someone hugely sought after you know could have like a Jerry Flannery who supposedly is moving back from England to 
concentrate more on his businesses. He'll be an hour down the road in Limerick. He could be one. You know, John Muldoon is in Bristol. There, there's names there that could come in and could change the idea that was already in place. The idea I think had been for Wilkins to stay on, and that's why he was moved to head coach. And friend, he went to director rugby. But once you open up the interviewing process, you don't know who applies, and that that could be the game changer. So it's an interesting time. Uh, I hope the transition year isn't too negatively impactful on the Connacht team because I think we are in a good position with a good, strong, stable base of players, a good squad, albeit quite small in terms of like just depth-wise. I wouldn't mind another couple of players, but I think Friendy has done a really good job of getting rid of a couple of players that maybe were a bit excess of need uh, or just not kind of not really Im- impacting or implement in- impact thing on the team you know we're having having much of a positive impact on the team i think he's done a good good kind of job of like cutting off that sort of fat uh, for want of a better phrase i don't like describing people's fat that's not nice but they, they've cleared out a lot over the last few years so i hope there isn't a mass exodus this year and i hope that when the coaches are brought in a couple of signings are brought in and solidified and you know the ideal scenario would be to emulate what they've done at monster which is to have one or two maybe transition weeks and then to really just kind of get on this high high sort of trajectory that they've been on since. Yeah, as you said, the, the earlier they announce who it is, obviously the quicker that they can at least get involved and get their, their fingers on it. But um, look, only time will tell. It's it's a big it's a big moment for Connacht, in, I think, to determine the next couple of years for them. Um, we hope that they get someone in with a, a good name, a, a good bit of history and a, a proven track record at least, but only time will tell. Um, well, I think we'll wrap it up there, lads. I will say we do have a Connacht player on the podcast this week coming up. Uh, I'll be announcing that tomorrow on Twitter and Instagram. So keep an eye out for that. It's I'll give a hint. It's someone who hasn't signed a contract yet with Connacht. Uh, we'll give a bit. Uh, who knows? Who knows? We could be getting some juicy goss. Uh, we will see. But um, yeah, we'll be back obviously again then next weekend to recap all the URC action. Thanks again to Fanzo and Della for sponsoring. Uh, our Pine Prediction League and the podcast. Uh, and yeah, boys, appreciate it as always, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks,